I have but one simple idea to invite you to think about with me this morning, and then to seek to go out and practice in your day-to-day life as we part from this place later today. The simple idea is this, that if we want to love people as God has loved us, we need to love them honestly. We need to love them with a bold honesty, an honesty that helps them come to grips with those things going on in their life that may be blocking their progress towards the good or the great that God has in mind for them and which they perhaps may even desire for themselves. The simple idea is that honest feedback is indispensable to continuing growth. And if our understanding of love doesn't involve providing that kind of honest feedback, then our sense of loving needs to grow as well. This truth, I think, gets illustrated in a lot of places. I, I think of how it has been freshly discovered in the world of business and leadership today. Jim Collins, the Stanford business professor in his famous book, Good to Great, says that one of the distinguishing marks of those organizations that succeed in reaching a level of performance significantly higher than ordinary organizations is the willingness of these upper organizations to face what he calls brutal facts. These organizations, he said, every outstanding company that Collins and his colleagues studied demonstrated an unusual courage in examining themselves, in ferreting out and naming those issues that were blocking them from making the leap to much greater performance. And alongside of this unusual courage was an unusual faith, a faith that if they got honest and dealt sincerely with the issues, it would not demoralize them, but propel them to the next level of excellence. And that is exactly what happened for these exceptional organizations. We see this reality about the nature and importance of truth-telling illustrated in uh, the world of politics, too. Uh, Perhaps the recent elections are a little too fresh to bring to mind, so let me go back a little bit further to Winston Churchill. If ever there was an individual known for his unusual faith in progress, his sense of potential, his relentless optimism that we could go from good to great, it was Winston Churchill at a time when the world was wondering not if Britain was going to surrender, but when Britain was going to finally plead for mercy from its vastly larger and stronger foes, Winston Churchill went on the air and said to his people this, we are resolved to destroy Hitler and every vestige of the Nazi regime. We will never negotiate with him. We will not parley with him or any of his gang. We shall fight him by land, by sea, and in the air until with the help of God we have rid the earth of his very shadow. Never, never, never give up. 
optimism, unusual faith in the power of believing in the future. And yet alongside of it, at the very same time, he's saying this to his people. Churchill establishes an independent office of statistics in Britain. The sole job of this office is to get the facts, the hard facts, about how the campaign against the Axis is really going. Uh, And to feed unvarnished, unfiltered, unpopular, difficult truth directly to the office of the prime minister. uh, Churchill wanted to know how the war was actually progressing. Facts, said Churchill, are better than dreams. You'll go further facing the facts than just holding on to empty dreams. This unusual faith in the possibility of progress when one exercises unusual courage in facing reality is also what Jesus models for us. It is what Jesus teaches us in many, many different encounters that he has with people. In the text that we are studying today from Mark chapter 10, Christ meets a man who says he wants to move from good to great. The man comes up to Jesus and inquires for a strategy from moving from where he is to an even better place in life. This man has a good life. He has a morally good life. It's evidenced by the fact that when Jesus lists the Ten Commandments, the individual is able to earnestly say, ever since I was a boy, all these commandments I have kept. And Jesus doesn't challenge him. But this man, as good as he is, wants a great spiritual life. He wants more of God. He wants more of his life to be used of God. He wants the assurance and the power that he sees in Jesus. And so he comes to him and he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit a life like I see in you, Jesus, like you speak of Jesus? What must I do to go from merely good to great? And the Bible tells us that Jesus looked at him. And what? Loved him. He loved him. I think by that it means he loved him extravagantly. He loved him expectantly. He loved him presently. And he loved him honestly. Jesus had such an unusual faith in the possibility of progress for this man that he exercises an unusual courage in naming the reality that is holding this guy back. You see, the text says, verse 20, he had great wealth. This man had great wealth. But the brutal fact was great wealth had him. It had him. Maybe he was so wrapped up in his schedule and in his stuff that he could not find margin, space to cultivate the deeper life with God he said he wanted. 
Maybe he was so wed to the identity and the security that uh, his affluence gave him that he really found it pretty hard to trust in God, to depend in, on God. Uh, he is perhaps so busy managing the way life is now that he doesn't really have empty hands with which to take hold of the way life could be if he would allow God to direct him in everything. This guy says that he wants an eternal kind of life, but until he confronts what is blocking him, he is never going to be able to take hold of the thing he wants to make progress with. He'll never go from good to great. And so Jesus speaks honestly to him. He says, one thing you lack. That must have been a hard moment, by the way. This guy's optimistic. He's coming in. Oh, teacher, he's expecting to be patted on the back. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. I just want to raise one issue for you. Go and disentangle yourself from all the stuff. Prune it. Cut it away. Give it to somebody who really needs it. You'll find that it gives you a spiritual richness that it can't give you. Do this, he says, and then you'll be free to come and follow me. Now, I tell you this story this morning partly because I think maybe there's a word to us in the words of Christ to the rich young ruler. I know I hear echoes of truth in my own soul as I think about all of the stuff that occupies me and keeps me from a deeper life with him. But, but I also tell you this story today to invite you to look beyond yourself, to, 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 to invite you to think about the people that maybe come up to you at various points in your life looking for something. I want to encourage you today to think about people you know who are being blocked in their progress towards the great things God has in mind for them or maybe the great things they even want for themselves because there is some brutal fact in their life they've just not been willing to confront, not been willing to face. Maybe you know somebody, for example, who just talks too much. It's a preacher's disease. Um... But you, you know the people I'm talking about. I mean, they, you get into a conversation with them and they have the microphone almost all the time. It's just yammer, 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 yammer. And there's a, they take a breath and you jump in and they show, show momentary interest and they're back to their stuff again. And the result of this is that they don't learn much of anything about other people or about what's really going on in their environment, about the world. They're just so busy talking. And it's alienating people around them, and they do not see it. It's limiting their potential for greater leadership because people don't want them to have a bigger microphone. And this is the brutal fact that's stopping them from progress in some important ways. Or, or maybe you're close to somebody who's, who's very critical, hypercritical of other people. I mean, they are always finding the faults. They, they have a long list of them. They can sniff out what's wrong with somebody else's life, and they're very critical, sometimes even cruel about those 
other people while being excessively gracious about their own flaws. And you're thinking, you're saying this about so-and-so, but like, have you looked at yourself? And, and yet you don't say that out loud to them, but you're thinking it. And you know that the way this person operates in the world is destroying their credibility with other people. Uh, other fo- folks know that there's this conflict and contrast here. And, and yet this person can't see it. They just can't see it. They're using it to see. Or you might know somebody who's addicted to alcohol. It was just a, a tipple after work. It became a regular stream. It's a big issue now. And, or maybe it's tobacco, or maybe it's a food. But there's an addiction going on here. They're, more, they're related to that thing now, much more in the rush that that thing gives than, than into real relationships with people. They think they're hiding it. They don't think it's that much of an issue, or they're covering it up. They know it's an issue. They're covering it up. But lots of people see what's going on. They know it. They're embarrassed. They're awkward about the deception, the self-deception going on. They, 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 they're worried about the health of that person. Uh, over to, they, this person's killing themselves. Or they're mad. They're angry at the way this addiction is punishing other people, disfiguring other people. And nothing's going to get better in the life of this person. They're not going to progress until they deal with that brutal fact. Or perhaps you know somebody who's consistently late or unfaithful to their spoken promises or they're lazy, they're slovenly, they're chronically disorganized and it wreaks havoc upon the people around them and they just won't face it. You might have somebody in your circle who lacks the guts to stand up to the people who are abusing them. Uh, You may know individuals who refuse to really work for the things that they say they want. And you may know those who consistently lie rather than face truth. You may know somebody so self-righteous, so hard-hearted, so self-satisfied that in the eyes of God, they desperately need forgiveness. And yet all they can do is judge other people. The brutal fact, the brutal fact is that I have not even begun to name all the brutal facts. Present in this room, present in your home, present in my life, present in your life, and those of others that you love. The brutal fact is that we are sinners. Welcome to a meeting of Sinners Unanimous. My name is Dan, and I'm a sinner. And we're surrounded by them, by people with these logs in, these, in their eyes. Um, and we would be eternally lost if it were not for the beautiful fact that there is a God a great and glorious and holy God who loves us, who loves all people, even the way they are, just too much to leave them, to leave us the way we are. He wants to help us. He he comes in the flesh in Christ. He comes by the power of his Holy Spirit working through others to help us 
to move from broken to better, from good to great. And the question that needs to seize our imagination is how we cooperate with him, how we help advance the progress that he wants to advance in human lives. The big idea that I want to suggest to you today is that we need to love one another honestly enough to start naming more frequently the brutal facts that are blocking people from making progress on life's path. And I suppose before we do that, we have to confront our fear about that, right? We've got some fear about this kind of honesty. We're afraid that if we really start telling the truth, that um, we're going to get rejected by that person. Or, or we're afraid that we'll crush them and they won't get up again. Or, or we're afraid that if we name the lacks we see in them, they will pull out their list of the lacks they see in us. And it will be a very uncomfortable conversation. I understand these fears. I have all of them. That's, where I, that's how I know about these fears. But we need a better fear than that. I think that's, I, I think that's what we need. We need to be scared of something more than that. Our highest fear needs to be getting to the end of this life and having missed the opportunity to tell each other the truth that would have enabled somebody, enabled each of us to fulfill our God-given potential. But before we go out of here today and pick up a rock of brutal fact in order to pelt somebody else with it uh, injudiciously, let's stop once more and notice how Jesus confronts people. Let's take a lesson, a few lessons from the page of Jesus. In the eighth chapter of John's gospel, we read of another encounter between Jesus and a person who's gotten stuck in life, like the rich young ruler. And this one's gal stuck for something else. Uh, she has been caught in adultery. Okay, and our minds immediately when we read the story in John chapter 8 wonder, where's the guy? I mean, it does take two to tango. Where's her dance partner in this whole story? And he is hiding someplace. Uh, and, but, but the reality is she's been caught, and, and both of them, their lives are off the rails someplace that this whole affair is going on. Uh, and and these, these folks have rounded her up, brought them in front of Jesus. They're citing the Mosaic Law, which allows you to stone somebody caught in adultery. And they're about to enact that, and Jesus intervenes. And the first thing to notice in this story is that Jesus asks those who want to condemn her, he actually speaks to the whole audience now, her included, he says basically, examine yourselves. Step number one, examine yourselves. If anyone of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone at her to begin the execution process. The first rule when it comes to confronting people about serious issues is to ask them to examine themselves. In other words, see if you cannot get other people to name the brutal fact for themselves. Uh, because if they can, they will own the change at a much deeper and more creative level. Rather than attacking, immediately attacking, you do this, you always, and asserting these things, try asking. Try asking questions. For example, why do you think we're in this loop again? 
How did we get here? Um, why are you finding yourself in this situation again? We've known each other a long time. It seems like you're here again. You had this in the last workplace, the last church, the last where. What, what do you think is going on? I mean, I know other people have made mistakes, but what's your part in this? What's your role in this? What, what's, what's really needing some facing? Or, or I see you reacting this way, and I'm wondering, what's going on inside of you? What's the story you're telling yourself? Where did this come from in you um, that's now acting itself out in this way that's not working for you? Or, or, or if God were standing here, you know, because I'm not all wise, but if he who is all wise were standing here, what might he say needs fixing in you? Um, what would be the brutal fact he'd want you to confront? And, and you may be surprised if you put it in that open-hearted way, uh, maybe illustrate your own experience of coming to terms with issues, how the other person just opens up and starts pouring out their struggle in this area, and you'll be in a place to help. Uh, and, and even if they say, I've got no clue what you're talking about. There's nothing wrong with me. Um, ask them. Are you open to hearing what I'm observing? Because uh, I love you. Are you open to hearing that, what I see? Um, I think it's also worth noting that before confronting the woman herself in this story, Jesus drives away her enemies. You notice that? Before he goes after specifically the issues for her, he gets rid of those who are killingly condemning her. The Bible says that those who heard him, he'd asked this question about if you're without sin, examine yourself. Um, those who heard him began to go away one at a time. And I love this little detail. The older ones first. Why do you think the older ones went first? Longer list of brutal facts. Right. Yeah, longer list. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, where are your accusers? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one destroyed you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. I think there's a really creative second practice to be learned from here. If you want somebody to be able to fully face a brutal fact, replace the weight of condemnation with the grace, the gift, the power of companionship. Replace condemnation with companionship. Most people resist facing the truth about themselves because they fear that the truth condemns them. They do not want to let critique too close to them because they already feel so judged by other people. They are so secretly sometimes condemning of themselves, they cannot bear the weight of another stone, so they run away from the feedback or they resist the feedback. They just can't bear any more of this burden, and they've been shouldering this burden for a long time alone. Alone. I, I know this to be true because I have wrestled with this reality myself. You know, I, I come from a family with ruthlessly high standards. Uh, in, a, in just about every conceivable area of life. And, and 
And there was lots that was good about that, but I always fell short of the standard. I mean, I always did. Uh, in fact, when I hit the standard, the bar would go up a little bit so I could jump higher next time. And it was hard, you know? I mean, it was, I, I always, I continually felt like a failure, like I was just not enough. I felt judged often uh, in a family with these kinds of, of standards. And, and, and it got me angry eventually. I, get, I got tired of being pressed to this standard. And so I'd push people away, people that were trying to tell me about things that actually did need working on in my life. I just blew them off. I, I, I covered and deceived and spun so often. I still deal with the issue. But, but eventually, some really remarkable friends began to come into my life. And, a, and, and an amazingly loving wife, good at naming brutal facts, good at encouraging me along the journey, um, some very mature mentors came alongside of me, some people right here in this church. And slowly, I, I began to hear their heartbeat for me. Um, and when they would speak, you know, what I was hearing was, Dan, I do not condemn you for being a human being. I do not condemn you for getting it wrong, <laughs> uh, for not being able to do it all. I do not condemn you for that. Nobody should condemn you for that. I am on your side is what I was hearing from them. I struggle with things. I got issues, things I have to face too. I'm on your team. I'm in this with you. And I have great faith in your potential. I mean, you know, there may be some things that are broken. They can get better. There may be some things that are merely good. They could be great. Um, but you'll need to, to, to wrestle with some facts here. You know, this is what I'm seeing. This pattern, this, this behavior, this this issue for you. And I'm saying this because you seem stuck. I'm not doing it to condemn you, but so that you can move towards the potential I know you have. Uh, wow! That was different than, than I'd want, I had grown up with. Um, and, and so rather than rejecting those voices or railing back at them, I guess sometimes I did uh, rail back. I still do. But I began to start to welcome that input more and to hunger for people who could actually picture a better way of living. And that was the third thing that, that I think we learn, learn here, is that it's important to picture what an alternative way of handling life might look like. And these people began to do that for me. You could relate this way. You could work that way. And I found myself increasingly hearing Jesus speaking in love to me, the way he spoke to the rich young ruler and to the woman caught in adultery, basically saying, you know, something's been missing, Dan. Something's been missing. But you can overcome it. You can go now. You can go now and leave that pattern, leave that behavior, leave your life of sin. Who's loved you that way? Who's loved you honestly in your life? And who do you know that needs an honest love like this? Please be the one who has the unusual faith in their potential to bring to them an unusual courage in naming what's blocking them from going further. Ask them to examine themselves in some area where you sense there may be problems. Remove the weight of condemnation and assure them of your companionship in growth instead. And picture for them what it might look like 
to leave that pattern of sin behind and live in a much more creative way. Because if you do these things, if you keep doing these things, if you exercise a long obedience in these things, you will see God transform some brutal facts into beautiful fruit along the way. May that be so for all of us and for the ones we love. Amen.